0: You're raised as an athlete to fight back, so why all of a sudden, when you retire, do you stop the good fight? This is Finding Center with Nick Hartley. Hey gang, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Finding Center Podcast. On this episode, we are joined by Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. He's a family and obesity lipid specialist physician. He's the chief physician for Renaissance Periodization. They are the official dietitians of USA Weightlifting and USA Powerlifting. You can check them out at RP Strength if you're interested in one-on-one coaching, getting diet templates, or are interested in some of their self-published material. By the way, that is not a paid advertisement. I'm just giving you some background on Spencer. Many of you know him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as the Doc Who Lifts. You can follow along at Dr. N-A-D-O-L-S-K-Y. That's Dr. Nadolsky. He's a board-certified physician of both family medicine and obesity medicine. He's an avid weightlifter. He helps his patients lose weight and stay healthy with weightlifting, as you'll learn, he grew up playing sports. In high school, he's an All-American and won the state title in wrestling. He was All-State in football. He went on to Michigan State University to play football and to wrestle, then transferred down to North Carolina where he studied exercise physiology. And while doing all that, he did very well as a heavyweight wrestler, earning All-ACC honors, got a runner-up finish at the league championships, earned an at-large bid to the NCAA championships where he went 3-2 and two at nationals and finished just one win shy of that high. Highly coveted All-American honor. So as a former wrestler, I had to throw that in there because I still hold wrestlers in the highest regards. The toughness, the discipline, the strength. I love it all. He went on to earn his Doctor of Osteopathy from the Edward Villa College of osteopathic medicine his most recent area of specialty is lipidology which is the study of cholesterol and lipids he's currently studying preventative medicine at UCSD that's University of California San Diego and he's getting a master's at San Diego State University in public health Spencer has been featured in men's health muscle and fitness along with plenty of other publications he's also the author of the fat loss prescriptions the nine-step plan for losing weight and keeping it off You can find the link for that in the resource section of this podcast and please follow him on Instagram. Like I said, it's at Dr. Nadalski. So in this episode, you're going to hear according to Dr. Spencer, what is the primary key when it comes to diet nutrition? When constructing a diet plan for a patient, where does he begin? And this part was really interesting to me. Is there a difference in weight loss strategy when you're obese versus if you're already fairly lean? And as There is this quite little battle brewing between the longevity camp and the performance camp and the nutrition world that we live in. Can we live to be 95 or 100 and have performance too? Can we have our cake and eat it too? Are all proteins the same? How much protein do I need? Does that protein requirement differ if I'm obese versus fairly lean and trying to get leaner? Can I eat carbs and still lose weight? Which is followed up by his thoughts on the ketogenic diet, why it works, and which type of patients this diet is effective for, and what is the truth when it comes to if it fits your macros dieting philosophy, and do I have to cardio to lose weight? All of that and so much more. Guys, I thank you so much for following along. Okay, let's get down to it. I hope you enjoy. Here's Dr. Nadalski. Joining us now on the Finding Center podcast is Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Spencer, you've recently moved the family out to San Diego, and I know you're in search of the greatest taco on Taco Tuesdays. As we're recording here, it's Tuesday. What are we doing? Uh,
1: the taco stand in La Jolla is my current favorite. I was going to Tacos Mimi in uh, in uh, Pacific Beach, but the taco stand is its about as authentic as you can get. I don't know. You should see them back there just... they They... <laughs> they hit the the avocados and they pull out the the seeds and everything and all this stuff and they put it together and it's it's fresh but it takes a long time because the the line's like around the corner and then it takes a while because everybody's just wanting to get their burritos and tacos but that place is where i'd go how are you enjoying san diego and where'd you move from uh across the country i was in maryland uh wife's a navy doctor uh so she was in bethesda maryland that's where we were for three years she was getting her neonatology fellowship done and then they sent us across the country now we're at uh the Balboa naval hospital uh san diego there and we're in pacific beach now i love it here the climate's amazing i'm from michigan originally so we i'm like, from indiana so you understand so i know the plight. like three three months out of the the year are just amazing especially because i was on the beach in michigan so it was kind of like an ocean like, oh yeah lake michigan but what town there Holland, Michigan.
0: No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. We vacationed up in like St. Joseph, yep. I think yep. it is.
1: If, if like an hour or two away. Yeah. Same kind of thing, right? on like Michigan looks amazing, like an ocean. But then the, the winter comes and it's like the tundra. I mean, it's horrible. And so then, you know, we go to, I went down to North Carolina. That's where I went to undergrad and slowly came up. Uh, medical school in Virginia, then was up in Maryland. I felt like I could feel that creep coming back in. It was snowier, colder. I get like a little bit of a seasonal affective disorder, and I could feel it coming back. Then we get moved out here to San Diego. All that went away. It was pretty nice to have the –
0: With a good dose of vitamin D on a daily basis. Exercise outside. Mm -hmm. Now, you've
1: got kids, right? You have two kids, two, uh, two and three quarters, and then eight months. Eight month-old boy. Boy, girl, what do you have? Girl, Uh, oldest, then boy, youngest.
0: Okay, before we get into the kind of the meat and potatoes of fat loss, dieting, nutrition, all of that. Talk to me about like your family philosophy. And Mm -hmm. I, I know they're a little young yet to start leaking in the nutrition and everything, but do you treat it differently with boys and with girls? Because I know a lot of parents that I talk to that have daughters say we have to be really careful of not making them body conscious and talking about nutrition and talking about body fat. We don't want to make them too aware of that.
1: Yeah, no, that's actually a big thing now. I mean, I, I talk to patients now who, you know, they're 300 pounds and they have a lot of issues due to their childhood. Maybe they just had a little bit of extra weight when they're younger, but it, it it all spun out of control due to some of these comments and kind of this this thing from their family. So the way I do it, we just – try to have an environment that's conducive to healthier eating. I'm not a, a militant where you can only eat vegetables and fruit and this type of thing. She likes her her uh, her little goldfish crackers, she loves goldfish crackers, but in the end it's like and I talk about genetics uh, of obesity and things like that. I will see her stop eating crackers when she's finished and I'll see other kids who you know their parents aren't as lean as we are and the kids will keep eating and and that has to do with the brain and the the communication between the gut and the brain and hunger satiety signals so uh you know we try to have healthy food around and you know try to just expose her to those things and we don't talk about like hey you need to eat this this and this we just let her eat whatever and try to surround her with good healthy foods and uh don't make a big deal about it now with the boy i mean he's He's just eating whatever, and he's only eight months. So we'll see how it is. But it, in general, you want to treat it the same, even though eventually there could be differences uh, due to the psychology differences in boys and girls.
0: I'd probably be the militant type if it were for my wife who says, Nick, no, we need to let them have snacks. And it, she always does these little experiments with them and lets them have a little bit of ice cream. Yes, yep. the, this past weekend, we were down at the Hotel Dell. She's like, yeah, we're going to get him some ice cream. And her philosophy on all this is really if I allow them to have some when they ask for it, and I don't say, no, we can never have that, we can't have sugar, we can't have ice cream, we can't have cookies, that when they do get it, of course, then this will turn into alcohol and yeah. marijuana as they get older, right? It's like when they do get this now, they take a couple of bites and they're like, yeah, yeah. I'm good. And then there's always a pretty significant portion left over. And yep. she's like, see, yeah.
1: this I'd, this works. I'd follow her intuition. She, no, that's that's, that's – generally the way we recommend. I mean, my wife's a pediatrician. Now she's a specialist and I'm a family doctor. So I got pediatrics training and that's generally how we uh, go about things. And that's how the recommendations for weight and obesity are. You don't have them count calories or do something crazy like that. You try to make it pretty simple. Talk to me about your background. And and you mentioned a little bit, went down to North Carolina.
0: I think you were a wrestler, right? Yeah. I
1: actually went to Michigan state to play football, ended up wrestling at North Carolina, long story, we could talk about it, that at some point. Wait, get into but, that for a minute. Okay, so. Who was the head coach okay, of Michigan State? Bobby then? Williams. Okay. Bobby Williams, I don't know if he's, he's now at, I think, Oregon, at Oregon now, but he, he was, Sabin left Michigan State, Bobby Williams uh, uh, took his place, uh, Saban went to LSU, I guess. Yes. And it was always my dream, I was a state champ wrestler. I was all state football. in
0: Michigan, which is significant. Yeah. it was. I Michigan mean, it was, wrestling's really good.
1: Yeah, it was good. A, it was, it was a big deal. And so I just, you know, everybody's like, you just need to go wrestle. You can't do both. And it was just my dream to play at Michigan state. They didn't give me a scholarship. They said, but you can be a preferred walk on. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go play football or fullback uh, from MSU football. That's what I wanted to do. Well, he got fired in that season. I don't know if you remember Jeff Smoker, all these guys, Oh, that's there's, right. There's some, there's some drug issues going on and we just it was after a, a big time defeat to Michigan, our arch rivals, and um, they they fired him. I remember giving him a hug the next day after they fired. Him. It was really bad, and and I was so excited because I was uh, before that I was I was doing really well. I think I was going to earn a scholarship and everything. So then this guy John L. Smith came in from Louisville did a spread offense. They, they're like, we don't have fullbacks, fullbacks anymore. not existed And I'm like, they're like, go with the linebackers. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna earn a starting position at linebacker at this point. And the wrestling coach at the time was like, well, come wrestle. My brother who had just graduated was a very good wrestler at Michigan state. He's like, we'll give you a scholarship to wrestle. And I said, okay. And my brother's like, are you sure this was your dream to play football? So, I wrestled for a year at Michigan State, but I was like, I still want to play football. So, I ended up transferring to UNC to do both. I thought I was Bo Jackson. I'm not Bo Jackson. Well, I like that. I, yeah. Like, I really thought I could do everything. I was going to go to medical school, I was going to play football, and, you know, maybe make it to the NFL or maybe be an All American or, or just at least start and then be an All American wrestler at some point. Eventually, I realized I couldn't do both. I was trying to, I was practicing. I had to sit out a year of football, uh, but I was practicing with them. And then I was also wrestling, and I started. And I was like, I can't do both. And I chose wrestling. Did really well. Uh, uh, you then, were a heavyweight wrestler. Yep, heavyweight wrestler. I got up. To, What'd you compete at? What was your weight? Uh, so the so the best weight I'll say I was about two forty five, two fifty, but I got up to two sixty seven to try to one of, the guy that was the national champion. He was like cutting weight to make two eighty five. Who was it at the time? Uh, Cole Conrad. Okay, guy, big guy, big 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 huge guy that was hard to move him. So I was like, I'm just going to gain a ton of weight. And actually, I, I became less athletic. I think, uh, even though I was super strong, I could bench over 500 pounds. This type of thing, at, at 267. But I was not as nimble. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't move and cut corners. You lost your speed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And probably lost some endurance too. Even despite you know trying to stay conditioned. So it was kind of a, you know, hindsight's 2020. 20. But um, 245, I felt great. So then you know, after wrestling, I was like, all right, I'm gonna go to medical school. Uh, went to Virginia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Actually, funny story, UNC, I wanted to go to UNC for medical school, and they didn't let me in. They're like, you got to do one more year of something, and then maybe we'll let you in type of thing. And I was like, I'm not going to wait. waste a year. So I went to Virginia College of Osteopathic Medicine, which is the Virginia Tech's Osteopathic Medical School. Okay. And that's actually where I met my wife. Did two years uh, in Blacksburg and then two years doing my rotations in, like, the Newport News, uh, Hampton Roads area, uh, Virginia Beach. And that's where actually my wife was from. Uh, did my residency there as well, which is the training you do after medical school. And then after that, and that's what I did in family medicine. Then after that, I specialized in obesity medicine. And now just recently, lipidology, which is the study of like cholesterol and lipids. So, um, and now I'm actually in training again because I wanted to learn more research. And I'm doing at UCSD, I'm doing preventive medicine and getting a Masters in public health at San Diego State, so I'm, I'm, am gaining all these credentials. Continuing but, to learn. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm a lifelong learner, or maybe I just. You know, never want to grow up. I'm not really sure. Are you
0: practicing in San Diego?
1: Yeah, so I do all telemedicine now. Um, but I do prac like I do go to clinics like uh, refugee clinics and things like that in the area. No kidding. Yeah. You are doing it all. <laughs>
0: now <laughs> tw- 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 you're gonna you're gonna get a lot accomplished in this life. Now you're also the chief physician for Renaissance periodization. Yes. Disclaimer, I've used rps templates before my wife used them we've got them over in the filing cabinet over there i talked to a gal at the gym today who's used rp that's great what what's your role with
1: them so i am kind of their so you know you chief medical officer whatever you want to say chief physician i am taking over their coaching portion i also help with um uh, creating new templates and kind of simplifying going more to the masses so if you notice that a lot of their stuff is geared towards athletes right yes the thing is like yeah, same, power lifters weight lifters yeah, physique, physique athletes. athletes and it's very it's advanced to where like most of the population could dial it back and use the same principles and get amazing results without being uh as tedious i'd say uh and without having to go that extra cherry on top to get extra results like they just need to do 75 percent of what those templates do to get the results that they want so they brought me in as kind of a a, the thing is they went to Michigan the two guys Nick and and Mike it's funny they went to Michigan so every time that Michigan loses like this past weekend like this past weekend Wisconsin I you know make some funny comments about Jim Harbaugh or something like that and they are you know we send each other back funny text messages but Um, So I met them a while back, and it's like the way that they were doing things was similar to how I was practicing in actual practice. And so I was like, look, guys, what you guys are doing is what I do in my obesity practice and everything like that. Let's work together. So then they brought me in, and now we create these more simplified templates. And now I'm working with them to maybe uh, help simplify their app for a version. I don't know if you've used their app. I have not yet. And then from a behavioral standpoint, uh, behavioral change, and then... From a medical standpoint for weight loss, they wanted me to be there to help their coaches and help, you know, hopefully spread uh, RP across the world and to the more general population.
0: Now, describe your personal, and I guess it
1: falls into alignment with RPs, your nutrition philosophy. So, in general, energy balance is the most important thing. Energy balance is basically the calories in versus calories out. If you're if you're taking in fewer calories than you're burning, you're going to lose weight, and most of us want to lose just fat, but some people actually would, wouldn't mind losing some muscle, which is a whole other story. But in general, we want to lose fat. So energy balance is, is key. Now, the next thing in line, you may want to get enough protein in order to spare your muscle while you're losing weight. And also combine that with a good resistance training program and also, of course, aerobic training for cardiorespiratory fitness. But then they also emphasize vegetables and a quality, I'd say a quality diet. So if you look around and you see these, if it fits your macros type of uh, people. So they basically say it's just calories and macros. And that's true for when it comes to weight loss. But if you're looking at overall health and dietary patterns, you still want to eat healthful foods. So they do what I did in the clinic is they basically combine this idea of if it fits your macros and, and certain dietary quality and they put it together. And so they do meal templates. And that's what I would do with patients. So we'd go through and say, you know, you don't need to actually have a specific meal plan. Like you don't have to eat chicken breast or tilapia and broccoli and brown rice in every meal. You could have turkey. You could have egg whites. You could have cottage cheese. You could have uh, Greek yogurt. You could have tofu. You could do lentils, beans. You could do other things that, that are in that same category of protein. And swap it out for different things. You don't have to have it specific. Like, there's nothing special about tilapia. People think tilapia will thin your skin. There's nothing. It's just protein. It's just okay. And then, so in your head, all proteins are the same. I mean, in in terms of, let's say, magical fat loss. Probably, there's no magical fat loss. The, the proteins will have different. They come packaged in different foods, and they do have different nutrients in it. But there's probably there's no inherent property of tilapia that's going to be. Better than, say, turkey or shrimp or, you know, egg whites or something like that.
0: And then what kind of, if you were to give a recommendation as people are losing weight or maintaining weight, what, what kind of protein recommendations for a man and a woman?
1: So in, so if you look at the obesity literature, you're, you're looking at upwards of about 30, 35 uh, percent of total weight protein. But the way that a lot of people do it now is more of like a pound or a, a gram per pound of body weight. And then th- there becomes a point, though, where if you have a lot of excess body fat, you don't necessarily need the gram per pound. Then it's more – it starts getting based off of gram per lean, pound of lean body mass because at some point, you, you, if you're 400 pounds, 300 to 400 pounds – there's a lot of excess fat there. You don't need that. You don't need 300 or 400 grams of protein. You probably only need like 200 or 250. So it starts... Because losing the muscle mass is okay as well. Well, you don't need... You'll lose more fat. The more fat you have, the more fat you're going to lose instead of muscle as you lose weight. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it and, does. And so like if you're leaner and you start losing weight, you you don't have as much to spare. So you have to be very careful about losing weight you don't want to lose weight too quickly whereas if you have a lot of excess fat if you're if you have 30 40 body fat you could lose fat quickly you could you could take your calories down and not worry about losing muscle so much but if you're you know lean uh you want to go slower because the faster you go you're probably going to lose more muscle as opposed to fat so for like example
0: i was an nfl lineman of course Mm -hmm. 295 pounds i got down to 205 really quickly that's amazing but I also lost a decent amount of muscle mass. Right. So if other guys are going through that transition period or people out there are 295 pounds, I was over 20% body fat, I would imagine easily. Mm-hmm. Would you say just set your protein limits not at 295, would you say set it lower, 220, 200? I would have
1: said that, yeah. Okay. Probably around there. It it, it ends up it would have been a, about a gram per per pound of lean body mass for you. So if you're at 20%, yeah, I would've been like tw- you know, 220, 250 grams of protein for you would have been fine. And the thing is, as you lost weight, you wouldn't have needed that much either that would have come down. So, and the biggest thing would have been like, you know, rate of weight loss, enough protein, and then the resistance training. So I don't know how, I don't know how you lost the weight. It'd be interesting to hear how you did it. But, um, but if you were making sure you're lifting hard, getting sufficient protein, and then your rate of weight loss, about a, a half a percent to a percent of body weight per week, Would have been about right.
0: That seems to be a unifying principle amongst kind of weight loss experts is you've got to keep your protein relatively high, a gram gram per pound of body weight. And then the other one would be the resistance training. I mean, obviously just looking at you and knowing your background wrestling and football, you love it. Yeah. But then as far as like your patients are concerned when dealing with your patients and people are trying to lose body fat is resistance training. One of those unifying principles where you say, we'd also like you to lose some weight. Yeah, so... Or we'd also like you to lift some weights to lose weight.
1: It's not something... So if if I had a patient, let's say, they, you know, I say they have obesity, whatever, their BMI is 35, 40, or if you go by body fat percentage, we'll say 30, 40% uh, body fat. Just having them start doing resistance training probably won't have them lose too much fat by itself. But in conjunction with a... A caloric restricted diet with sufficient protein they will they will hold on to their muscle a little bit better than if they just simply dieted by itself and that's important for multiple reasons we want to keep our muscle not just for aesthetic purposes the, the patient cares about the aesthetic purposes probably the most and generally when you're younger at least you care about that most and then it starts going into health stuff but for health purposes the more muscle you have the more storage depot for for uh, glucose that you have it's it's metabolically active and healthy to have it and then even more so as you age and hopefully age gracefully uh, you know you get into your 60s 70s hopefully you have enough muscle to actually function well so you see a lot of people that they live long but they don't live their quality of life goes down because they don't have a lot of muscle Uh, it's not just quantity it's also quality so that's an important reason so I don't you know, I sell it to them like you're gonna want to you're gonna want a resistance train because you know, you probably think of exercise as punishment and you have to go for a long run, but you may actually enjoy lifting weights. It's good for you for multiple reasons while you're lifting weights, but you're also gonna keep your your, your muscle, which is gonna be important for you to as you as you lose weight because you're gonna want that form. But then also I talk about those other benefits of function later
0: And in life. Where does cardio fit into your program?
1: Cardio is very important for, you know, what like I said cardio respiratory fitness, the fitness levels thing, the, the higher people, the, the higher fitness you have fitness levels, the cardio respiratory fitness, the longer you generally live. And it also will help you get into that lower caloric balance. So that calories out portion, it, you don't have to rely on just your basal metabolic rate and, and your normal movement during the day. You can kind of add that in and it will help, um, kind of accelerate the weight loss process or the fat loss process. And then also it's super healthy for you. The problem is people think they need to do that in order to lose fat and you don't actually have to, you could, you could just diet and and do fine, but it it adds in a little bit of a, a cushion for you to, uh, so you could have maybe a little bit of an extra meal if you're hungry. Some people may actually make them a little bit hungrier, so then they may overeat. They just have to be aware of that, too. It's
0: funny. I'm that guy who goes on a long run, and yeah. while I'm on the run, all I can think of about is really unhealthy food, which I don't at all crave any other time, but it's just during those long runs, like a five, six, seven mile run. Once I'm out there at, like, mile 4, I'm like, what am I going to smash when I get done with this? And I bet other people have different triggers, like they're lifting weights, yeah. And and all of a sudden it's like that's a trigger for them. It's like okay, when I get home, something's going down here.
1: I, so I trained for a triathlon, a sprint triathlon, mind you. <laughs> I didn't do a full like Iron Man or anything like that. You would have
0: just, been what they call a Clydesdale. Yeah, yeah, I did. So I was. How the, heavy? Th- how big are you right um, now? I'm two ten right okay. now. Okay.
1: Yeah. So uh, I usually hover around two ten to two twenty depending on whatever, how many tacos I mean. Yeah, I but, uh, so I, I trained for a triathlon. And the amount of volume I was doing, I was still lifting weights three or four times a week, but then I had to add in the, the, the running and the biking. And it was a lot. But the, actually, the thing that made me the hungriest was after the swim. And I think... Because I was so inefficient at swimming, I swam, like, my wife came to watch me the first time. And she was actually worried. She's like, you're going to drown. She was like, you're going <laughs> like, to drown. And I was like, well, somebody needs to teach me how to swim. And, you know, and I, I did it for however many months trying to train. And still, the old ladies in the pool would still keep going past me. And I, it was frustrating. But I got into the open water. And it was fifty degrees up in Lake Michigan. I said I was like, I'm gonna go do it up in Michigan, back home, up in Grand Haven, which is just like thirty minutes away. And it was fifty degree water. They almost canceled it because it's like an cold. ice bath. Yeah, it I was. think we
0: would set ours at fifty four
1: degrees. Yeah, I yeah I I, I had my my uh, wetsuit on, but I didn't have the arm sleeves because I was like, oh, they will help me move my arms. Not that it, it didn't even matter because I I couldn't breathe. <laughs> and so I, I the women started passing me, even though they started fifteen minutes later. Anyway, I finally, luckily, I got out of it and, and, and made up for it on the run and the bike. But, um, yeah, that was a horrible experience. But, yeah, the swimming made me really hungry, whereas the running, you know, kind of hungry, and the biking kind of hungry. But swimming made me – Well, flex. especially in the
0: cold water because there's that thermodynamic effect, <laughs> yeah. right? You just <laughs> yeah. kind of shred – you yeah. shed calories yeah, to the do. water. Yeah. yeah,
1: you do. <laughs> So, yeah so
0: every time i get out of the pool i have that same thing yeah you know if you're actually swimming not like a, in my pool yeah, in the backyard here we just like i go out there and out. i do my plyometric leg workout and i, nice. I, I kind of take the load off a little bit and decompress the spine and do all that but when you're swimming that that makes you incredibly especially hungry. when
1: you're a bad swimmer
0: yeah <laughs> yeah you're working 30 percent harder I than was. everybody I'm else i pretty sure is. i was now when you're building out a program for somebody, do you start with the protein, or where do you start?
1: So, yeah. This, so my my vegan friends or my plant based friends would probably be like, I can't believe you're talking about because they 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 basically say you don't need to worry about the protein if with a well you know constructed kind of plant based diet. I do both. I, I I make sure that hey, make sure your plate is full of, of plants, but also let's at least set a goal for the protein so I try to do both at once so in our meal templates I would say the protein in each meal but also the vegetables and then depending on the person their preferences metabolic uh, status then we kind of swap in and out fat or or carbs and have kind of this ratio there but the protein is more important than the carbs or fat when you're losing losing weight Um, and but then the vegetables are very important for health and for filling you up Although some people argue. Yeah, satiety know.
0: reasons. Yeah. For me, I just love throwing everything on a bed of romaine, yeah. like an, an entire yeah. head of that thing. And it's like, let's get this thing as full as possible. Yeah, that exactly. way I'm not just going back to the pantry and right. shoving nuts down my face yeah. because that, that happens to be a huge craving of mine. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any type of ratios that you look for after that? Or does it come basically like you mentioned having vegan friends who I would yeah. imagine are rather carb heavy. And then yep. – I, I don't know where you're at. Well, I kind of know where you're at on the ketogenic diet, but I would imagine you also play nice with those yeah. folks when they come and they want you to build out a program for them. I mean, based on the Instagram account and yeah. and the gentle ribbing that goes on yeah. there with you and the ketogenic diet people, where where are you at on all the different kinds of diets that yeah. that we
1: have around us? So all the diets will work. They all work as long as there's a caloric deficit. They will all work. The biggest thing, though, the reason ketogenic diets they, they a lot of the proponents of ketogenic diets will say, "No, it's—it's it's due to your hormones. You're bringing your insulin low, and that's how you're going to get the fat out of your fat cells. Because if the insulin's high, the fat will stay stored. And actually, they've done metabolic ward studies and showed this isn't actually true. The reason that the ketogenic diets work so well in certain folks is if they have insatiable hunger and cravings. When you get into this nutritional ketosis and your ketone levels and your blood start going high, you actually there's an appetite suppressant type of effect. If you add that on top of the the restricted types of foods, the, the things the, the foods that people overeat on are the things that have both fat and carbohydrate and usually salt and maybe some sugar thrown in there. So think about donuts, cookies, chips, you know, cakes, pies. Those types of things, or even think about pasta with some butter on it and, and things like that. So, if you go ketogenic, you you completely those foods aren't available to you anymore, right? That's, that's right. right. So that's one part of it. But there is actually a, a, a satiation, uh, a satiety effect of the ketogenic diet. Now, where I use the ketogenic diet is where patients have blood sugar issues, and, and blood sugar issues meaning like uncontrolled diabetes, type two diabetes, where They've had type 2 diabetes for a while. They've been on some medicines. They've tried to lose weight. And they may even lose some weight doing a, you know, another type of diet, but their blood sugars are still elevated. And that has partially to do with their pancreas isn't working as well anymore. And even if they lost a lot of the weight, their blood sugars could still be elevated because their pancreas isn't shooting out that insulin anymore. So if you put them on a ketogenic diet, they don't, need, they don't have carbohydrates. Their blood sugars don't go up as much. They don't need as much insulin to take care of it. So in those types of patients, uh, it can be very effective at lowering their blood sugars uh, well. They also, historically, they've used it for uh, seizure disorders, epileptic um, patients that have been refractory to um, uh, medicines. But I I don't, they're seeing neurologists. They're not seeing me for that. So I like a ketogenic diet for that particular type of person. But um, there are a lot of people that feel they need to follow a ketogenic diet in order to lose weight because the latest guru says you have to do that. But you don't have to. So, you know, with RP, their big thing is like, hey, you can eat carbohydrates and still lose fat. And we have all these transformation pictures to show you. The thing is, is if you, if you have troubles with cravings and, and satiety, probably eating that much starch and, you, and you're still hungry, you, you may not be able to stick to it that well. So that's, that's you know, that's just the only thing. So if, if a ketogenic diet helps you stick to it because of the hunger and satiety, that's fine, but a lot of people won't stick to it because it's so restrictive and they didn't have to stick to it because they could have eaten the carbohydrate and still lost weight as long as they kept the the calories low.
0: Why are we, and this is just, it's a crazy dieting and nutrition world we live in. In your opinion, you've seen it all. You've probably tried most of these. I've tried virtually everything as well. Why are people so dogmatic about, Whatever program or protocol that they're on with nutrition, it's not religion. It's just nutrition.
1: Yeah, that's. I always say that, it's just food. Just relax. It's just food. But I think you know, <laughs> you know, when we people don't relax. When, yeah, well, people don't relax. But we grow up. We we use food for, you know, comfort. We it's it's a very close to us. You know, we we've celebrated birthday parties. We've celebrated things with it. It's it's part of our culture and something about it. Um, I don't know. I can't explain. There have been books written about it. I've read them, and it's it's interesting thoughts. But people, you talk about artificial sweeteners or anything, it it, it will spark emotion in people. So you talk about carbohydrates and insulin and plant based diets versus you know the carnivores diets. I don't know if you've heard of the carnivore I have, diet. Yeah. The basic, and, and people get really angry, and it's like gosh. I can't believe you're getting angry about this when the, we have other issues in the world where it's like some people don't even have clean drinking water. us probably should take care of that before we even start yelling at each other about small nuances of, of nutrition. That we probably, when we got all together, we'd probably all agree. 90 to 95 percent, maybe not the vegans and the carnivores, but all the people <laughs> they're not going to get along, they probably not They have some along. other underlying principles yeah, that yeah. they believe in, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but otherwise, when it comes to health and nutrition, I'm sure we'd all agree that we should probably be minimizing processed types of foods. There are probably processed foods that we do need to process, things like Greek yogurt, it's technically processed, but you know, so I'm sure we all agree on what is probably a, a, a healthier dietary pattern. And then, you know, we should probably shouldn't be drinking sodas. You know, we probably shouldn't be eating tons of fried foods. I think most people would agree on that. But then, but then when it comes to social media, and you know, you, you never read the comments because otherwise you see some bad <laughs> stuff. But people are just it's yelling a great at rule each of thumb. Other. Yeah, people are yelling at each other. It's interesting. Isn't,
0: I mean. it, isn't it kind of fun to watch the the wars go on in your replies?
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. And and, and I'll throw a zinger in there just. If if I haven't, you know, if I haven't had my coffee in the morning, I'm a little bit like, oh, all right, trying to get up and I see something kind of inflammatory towards me, I'll throw a zinger back. And it's really funny to then see everybody just ha, 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 ha. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a mob mentality. Like, oh, you got him, Dr. Dr. Spencer. But it's like, you know, I don't want to gang up on the one guy, but it's really funny to throw something back at somebody because they don't expect you to do it. They just figure they're going to make an inflammatory comment and just have it, you know let it sit there and I come back and make one back. It's kind of funny.
0: Now, a lot of your past comes based on performance, football, wrestling, RPs kind of performance background on there, but then you're getting into more public health and preventative medicine. And I just sense this, this other kind of battle that's maybe waiting where it's like on one side of the argument, you got the performance people on the other side of the argument. You got the health, wellness, longevity type people I guess you're a great one to kind of bring the two parties together. Where where are you at on this new world order here? I mean, can we have our cake and eat it too? Or do we have to also with that go, no, I'm more of the performance based or I'm the longevity based. Like can't we live till 95, 100 and perform at the same time?
1: Yeah, that was my goal. That was literally my goal. I, I said, you know what? I'm, using, I'm diving into the nutrition and exercise science when it comes to performance. I wanted to be, great uh at athletics but i'm like you know what all the same principles apply to the general population for chronic disease so why can't we just take a fraction of that obsession with performance trying to eke out that last little percent uh you know to try to get to that olympic elite level uh, why couldn't we take just a fraction of that and kind of apply it broadly and so that was kind of the idea uh that i would that i would do and so that's what i did in the clinic so i do think you can have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. Uh, I do there, if you're going to be completely optimal in performance, you're probably not going to be completely optimal in longevity. And so the reason I say that is because high protein, super high protein diets aren't associated with longevity yet higher protein diets help with more muscle and people with more muscle tend to live longer so we kind of have this paradox it's just it's yeah it's a total catch-22 right it it gets into the the thing as you see these blue zones have you heard of the blue yes. zones people live the longest there's a lot that go into it. it's not just diet and whatever but lifestyle community yeah, family genetics those people don't know none of them eat a high protein diet but then when you look at the the experimental data that we see so that's all epidemiological meaning we just kind of Look at what happened to them, we didn't make any intervention uh, we didn't we just watched these people uh or even looked back in the past at what these people did and we didn't make any experiment. They just are there so we're we're observing it observational some people would say, whereas we have these randomized controlled trials or trial or experimental data where we you know put two groups on one type of diet and 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 another group on another, and you look at uh who uh loses the most fat and keeps their muscle. And it's like, well, these people with the higher protein compared to the lower protein seem to do better. And then when you look at the epidemiological data, there's people that have more muscle and they function better and they're stronger tend to live longer. So could we extrapolate that? I, I can't say for sure. I would just say that, I don't know, We when we look at the people who live the longest, they're not eating high protein. But it doesn't mean that eating high protein will necessarily kill you sooner. Does that make sense? We can't make that... Yeah. We can't make that assumption, but I will say that if I had to guess, I would say there's probably uh, the road forks somewhere, but I think we can probably be somewhere in between. And I do think if we go for only longevity, we're also going to miss out on some quality. And I think that's where some of these like carnivores will yell at the the plant-based or vegans because what they'll say is, well, you're going to be under-muscled. You get some pretty jacked – I've seen some jacked vegans out there, so I'm oh, not totally. going to say – if, you know, if, if you're not good enough protein, maybe you're not going to have as much muscle and we're carnivores and we're going to eat all the meat and we're going to be muscly. You see these arguments of, like we're going to have a good quality of life. We may not live as long type of thing. And I think both arguments should be discussed, whereas I'm sitting here going, well, I think we can eat vegetables and still have some lean meat and maybe not have too much protein, but enough protein to keep our muscle and build muscle and function and live quality, long lives. So that's my stance. And I I think you can. I just I may not we may not live to one hundred and ten or twenty. But maybe we live into our 90s and and function pretty well and have a good quality those last 20 years of life.
0: Yeah, because there's that kind of interesting component where it's like, hey, you want a little bit lower protein. But then there's that point where it's like 60 to 65 years old where it's like, okay, now's the time to start jacking up that protein again. Mm -hmm. So you've got more muscle mass. So you're not falling over the place and you're not breaking your hips and you do happen to live longer. I mean, it's... It's such a conundrum. Yeah. I mean really it's a it's quite the challenge and I guess maybe it's age specific. Yeah. Cuz as you're younger you can probably right. tolerate more protein and should have more protein and then as you get to I guess age related disease type area maybe taper it down and then ramp it back up. I
1: mean, Yeah. I guess we don't know. No, we don't. We don't know exactly. I just, you know, I I think we go based on our data right now and just Try to eat a high-quality diet. I don't think you need to eat huge steaks every meal, but uh, you know, get a sufficient amount of protein. I th- and I think, you know, some, when you go to optimal versus, like, sufficient, there's a good bit of wiggle room in there. I think you could, you know, a little bit of gray zone to where you don't need to overdo it, but you can get enough to uh, support healthy functioning without eking out that last little percent of of performance and muscle one area that kind of seems to cross both genres the performance and the longevity is intermittent fasting right where where are you at on that so it's a lot of data is coming out all the time there's some really cool researchers that are doing uh you know a lot of these a lot of these experiments and you know when it comes down to it for fat loss it looks like they do if about the same as chronic caloric restriction versus intermittent fasting where you may not eat on one day uh, or you may not eat on two days, or maybe yeah, the eat five a, two, or you maybe the, eat like a 500 calories on, on their fasting day, which isn't technically fasting, whatever. So, w- when it comes down to the fat loss, it just follows the energy deficit. Now, where there's some interesting stuff is the circadian rhythm and how maybe there's some changes that occur with our mitochondria and how we harvest the, the energy and, and nutrient partitioning. I think we're going to see, and maybe there's some beyond the weight loss maybe there's some other health benefits, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that are, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I, I'm skeptical as well because everybody wants to take, you know, studies from mice or whatever, and then extrapolate it to humans. Like, look, look at, this is so cool. Or take one pilot study done in humans and say, look, we saw this, or they take a, a, a possible mechanism that they saw in humans, but in the end, it doesn't change the actual outcome. So it may be cool to see some marker change, but in the end, are you going to live longer? Are you going to feel better? Or are you going to actually have some sort of hard outcome that's different as opposed to just looking at these surrogate markers that look cool on paper but don't actually do anything?
0: All right, give me your physical regimen throughout a week.
1: Yeah, so right now I do three... Um, full body workouts sometimes. So it's sometimes two upper body to lower body. I, I switch in between that and like three full body, uh, resistance training workouts, lots of walking each day, at least 10,000 steps, generally 10 okay. to 15,000. Lots of walking around Pacific beach, uh, easy to place beach. to walk around. It is nice place. And then, uh, two times a week of three mile runs. And just, so it's very simple. But I'm getting in the basically the recommended amount of, of physical activity um, that Americans are recommended to get. But uh, keeping my cardio-respiratory fitness high, keeping my muscle resistance training high, uh, while also having fun I could overdo it too and and do the triathlon training again it's just take that that's like a full-time job yeah that wears you out mm-hmm. yeah exactly
0: and now what what is your family's eating habits
1: yeah so three to four meals a day usually three meals a day plus a snack in general um, lots of vegetables and fruit and lean protein and then we for our fat we get nuts avocado olive oil It's kind of like a Mediterranean's pattern if yes. you will the people from the Mediterranean be like, that's not a Mediterranean. Diet. And <laughs> it's like, just I, what we coined the Mediterranean. It's just like diet. I know it's, it's on paper. It looks looks like it, but it, what I consider healthful fats, uh, and and then from my carbohydrate sources are from lentil beans, uh, and then other types of fruit and starches. But uh, you know, I do ha- I do eat dessert a few times a week. I you know, uh, not eating it all day, uh, but I do enjoy. Um, a good tasting cookie, chocolate chip cookie or chocolate chip cookie sandwich from Baked Bear or whatever. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, you go, go all the way when you're going to go yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. Just, just do it. And do you make sure before you have a dessert that you have a really intense workout or it just doesn't matter? It kind of averages out over the week or the month or whatever. It,
1: it generally averages out. I, I used to be a little bit more obsessed with that. It's kind of like a, you know, whatever you call a pre-prandial uh, uh, workout or, and then, or maybe a postprandial walk afterwards because yeah, – technically, if you go for a walk after you eat a meal, your blood sugar won't spike as high, and that's probably a good thing. At least it's a good thing in, in patients with diabetes. But in probably healthy individuals, it's probably a good thing, too. We don't want those huge glucose excursions and whatever. But uh, I used to be more obsessed with that. Now I'm a little bit more relaxed because I do think obsessing over it probably causes more harm, too, in some other way that we can't quantify. stress. Yeah, that okay. we, we just can't quantify it. But I have a feeling that there's something probably there with obsessing over it, kind of that orthorexia. So I, I used to be a little bit more obsessed and now I'm just relaxing it. It really didn't take a toll on my physique as far as I can tell based on the mirror and DEXA scans and whatever. So, And that's probably
0: something with age that just kind of happens I too. So. Like I I was so obsessive about everything the younger I was yeah. and now as I'm getting older I just relax a little bit. Yeah. It's everything you realize is going to kind of Settle itself yeah. out and take care of it. Big
1: picture, you're like, all right, this probably didn't matter too yeah. much. But whatever. That's yeah, that,
0: yeah. Instead of like fighting those one day battles, you're fighting week or month yeah. or year long battles. Where, yeah. and I think that's just kind of the relativity of time, right? It's yeah. like when you're 100 years old, one year is one yeah. percent of your life. But when you're 50 years old, I guess it's two percent. When yeah. you're one year old, it's 100 percent yeah.
1: of your life. Yeah. What What supplements are you into? So if I do anything, it's it's a protein type of supplement. I have a plant-based supple- uh, protein supplement. I have an egg white protein, and I do whey. Um, beyond that, creatine, but I, I I actually just recently stopped taking creatine, but that's probably the only stuff. Oh, any you, reason? Uh, well, so I have this interesting thing called uh, idiopathic hypercalciuria. I pee out a lot of calcium. Okay. Uh, and... It has nothing to do with the creatine, but I was just like, I don't know. I was just going to stop it. I, I, there had not been any studies, but I, when I found this out, I'm like, well, I take a lot of creatine. And I actually hold, like, about four pounds of water when I um, take creatine, so – uh, I always it,
0: find it affects my hamstrings. Really? I, can, I
1: can feel creatine like, in my hamstrings. Like I'm going to pull a hamstring. It, and it might be the water, water. So yeah, maybe the water and maybe it, the muscle muscles a little bit fuller, and so it feels like a, a bigger stretch. That maybe that'd be my hypothesis. Oh, that's yeah, that's, that's possible. Unless you're just dehydrated, and it's kind of slightly cramping, almost like subclinical cramping that uh, you're feeling. But I don't know.
0: Do you know anything about the, like the nootropic effects of creatine? I mean, so I hear people talking yeah, about it. Yeah, so
1: that now. it's they they're looking into creatine and depression and all sorts of mental health issues. So th- there's probably something there. Um, it's hard to say. I don't know. There there're a lot of uh, myokines, you know, when you in your muscles we we thought there was like adipokines, but now we're we're finding our muscle has signaling all over the place. So there's probably something to that effect. I don't know. It could be something else though. But creatine a good supplement. It's been studied for a long time. But the other thing that I do is, is coffee, you know, if, uh, caffeine. Of course. Caffeine a, is a very well-studied supplement, but I, I don't take caffeine by itself. I, I take it in the form of espresso or, or uh, coffee. Got you. Iced coffee. And yeah, you don't just take a caffeine pill. No. Yeah. yeah. So, kind of modulated a little bit with... Yeah. Yeah. And that's about it. I'm trying to think of anything. I don't take a multivitamin anymore. I, I you feel I, like you get it through your diet. Yeah. I get a pretty wide array of foods and, and I'm not cutting. If you're cutting weight and you're not getting as many calories and maybe not getting as much food, it, it may be reasonable to get a multivitamin.
0: No vitamin D, no zinc, magnesium. No. I used fish to... Fish oil
1: so in the in the winters in Maryland and, and, and Michigan wherever, <laughs> I would take vitamin D you're uh, locked inside a lot yeah I and and you know I'd monitor my levels and yeah I was with the vitamin D I'd stay normal but here I just got my vitamin D checked I haven't taken vitamin D in over a year because I knew I'm like I'm not taking it when I'm here I'm out in the Sun all the time perfectly normal it was like 40 or 50 and you don't want to be below 30 Um so none of that. And then magnesium, I, I used to take once in a while because I'm like, well, uh, you know, a lot of people are deficient in it. And the thing is, I get a lot of magnesium from the foods I eat. I haven't, I didn't find any. It, it didn't do anything for me. I checked my levels; it didn't really matter. Um, zinc, never actually checked my levels, but uh, I don't take it. Uh, potassium, people are a lot of, a lot of times deficient in that, but you know, I eat a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables, so not really worried about that either beyond that there's like a vitamin k2 that you may not get enough of uh it's a different type of a vitamin k that might be something reasonable to look into for bone strength and maybe uh it's kind of like a calcium blocker you may not get as much calcium in your arteries and stuff like that but uh, the jury's a little bit out on that uh, i would say
0: how often are you recommending people check their blood
1: so it depends. If it's a person, healthy person like yourself, uh, you know, and you don't have any medical problems, some recommendations would say, well, you don't need to check their cholesterol for another five years or whatever. In general, I check people that are healthy once a year because it's pretty cheap. A glucose, a uh, uh, lipid panel, if they're worried about their liver, we may check liver enzymes. Uh, you can get more advanced inflammatory testing and genetic uh, lipid testing. If, if you're, if they have a family history of heart attacks or things like that. So it depends on the person, but in general, once a year for a healthy person, even though recommendations would say you probably don't need to do that. If nothing's changed in the past year, um, thyroid, sometimes I check if they have symptoms, they're feeling like I've been a little bit tired recently. It's probably lifestyle related, but I'll find it every once in a while. And again, it's pretty cheap. If you do it self-pay, I have a special self-pay labs that I do. If insurance, I mean, it would be controversial, but if insurance paid for, you really shouldn't be, you know, um, uh, bogging down the whole medical system with extraneous labs. Right. But, you know, I don't know, patients kind of demand it sometimes. Yeah, and
0: I've seen a lot now on Instagram. I think it's
1: yeah. either Lab Core or Quest Diagnostics quest, or something that you quest can, will do You it. can order your own. Yeah, quest, yeah you, quest does it. You can get go there and, and that's kinda own. cool. It is cool. I mean, so it, it, it's cool in that it, it can also lead to problems if you just say, I want to test a bunch of different things and something comes back borderline positive. We have these pre test probabilities and so some things if you order a bunch of things, something may be off just by probability. Just okay. false positives and negatives or whatever. But on the other hand, if you can't, get, you can't see your doctor, you don't have time to go to your doctor, you don't, wanna, you don't have insurance, you go and say, you know what, I think my thyroid's off or I just want to check my blood sugar. You want to screen yourself and you're educated enough, it's fine. It just, it just depends on the person. I, you, know, you see some people go and ordering just tons of labs, batteries of tests because you can do that through some of these companies and then you get some things that are slightly off. Then you have to go down this rabbit hole and you have to order now really expensive tests to really confirm it, and then there's nothing there. So it's, it's a double-edged sword, but it, it, it can be very useful for some of these screening tests. Last thing, you got well, I've got a couple of things yeah. lastly. Where are you at on alcohol? Like S- how, how does that
0: fit into the, somebody's program?
1: Yeah, so you'll see people saying, of course you can drink alcohol while losing weight, and that's technically true. You can, you can totally drink alcohol while losing weight. Now the thing is I wouldn't be much of a good doctor if I told people to go ahead and drink alcohol while losing weight because my recommendation is generally one for for women and and up to two for for men per day and in general if you don't drink alcohol I'm not going to tell you to start drinking alcohol you know some people are like oh it's cardioprotective but really when you start looking at the data you start you start uh, uh balancing the effect of the cardioprotective versus possible Cancer and all these other causes. Yeah, like women's breast cancer risk go yeah, up. Lots of different things. Yeah. So, so it's kind of this balance thing where it's like, so if you don't, if you don't like alcohol, you know, don't start. But if if you do like to drink alcohol, I'm not going to recommend more than one drink for for a woman per night. If I'm if 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 there's like, look, I'm going to go have I'm going to go have five drinks with my with my friends. Is that okay? I'm like, well. What about 3, you know? You start <laughs> bargaining. Yeah, so you know, you kind of you start you kind of do this motivational interviewing thing like well, what if I told you 3 kind of thing or what about 3? And, and they say that's fine. Uh, you can you can still lose weight doing that. It, it it is just calories. There there are some mechanisms to where your body does want to uh, metabolize that alcohol first. So if you're drinking the alcohol with like a big fatty lumen onion or, or nachos <laughs> i don't even think there's an outback around there there may be an outback i haven't had that since college there may still be one i know when i first still. got here there was one in mission valley okay yeah. so there may be one but uh some fatty load so you, your body's going to want to uh, metabolize that alcohol first and so you're probably going to end up storing that fat but in in the end it's just energy balance so you could you could replace those um if you cut out some part of your diet and you're like, I am definitely going to go drink, there's nothing you can say about it. So like, all right, well, if you're, I guess if you're going to, you can do it. Just do it like this. Take out some of your fat, take out some of your carbohydrate, and then you can replace it with the alcohol. Again, as a doctor, I, I can't tell them, yeah, go, go do this. But I would, if they're going to do it anyway, I would, I would help them do it properly, I suppose. Yes.
0: And what are some of the resources that you could point people to to maybe help them get started?
1: Yeah, I would actually have people go to the Renaissance Periodization uh, website if you have a link on, on the Yeah, I'll, on put the it on, I'll put it on. Uh, it, yeah. We have lots of articles on, on all this type of things, where to start. And then if you're interested, you can start our app for free. We have our templates, which are proven. And then if you need a coach, you can grab one of our coaches. Awesome. Dr. Yeah. Spencer Nadolsky, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure, and you're only like ten minutes down the road, so it worked out. Well, we're gonna have to get a workout soon. Yeah, workout and tacos, tacos and some fish. I, I heard the fish is good. Yeah, I got a spot right near here <laughs> that, that we're gonna have to I'm check excited out. Excited for that.
0: All right, thank you. Very good. <laughs> If you made it to the end of this podcast, thank you so much. I believe time is our most valuable commodity. So sharing yours with me and our guest, it's greatly appreciated. If you don't mind, please leave me some comments and suggestions. And of course, we want to fill the needs of what you came here looking for. And we can't do that without your feedback. And please, if it suits you, Leave us a good rating. And lastly, suggest us to your friends, either with word of mouth or by screenshotting the podcast and put it on your social media stories. Make sure to tag me. I'm at Nick Hardwick. I'd love to repost you. Until next time, here's to our health.